Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thanks for joining me for another wonderful in-depth conversation. This is such a, um, a wonderful opportunity to have these conversations that really are truly uplifting and transforming because that's the purpose of this show. This podcast is all about our spiritual journey in life, our spiritual transformation, the um, awakening to who we are, to our greater purpose, to our soul's purpose, and ultimately to open our hearts and to find the path of true love and healing. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for tuning in as I do every week. And uh, um, I just want to let you know that if you'd like to listen to all the other podcasts I do, whether it's on the Love Code or the other show I do, on Progressive Radio Network, which is called What Women Must Know. You can either go to my Facebook page and like What Women Must Know. You can go to my website, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman, drcherylselman.com, or you can just go to Podbean and look up Love Code, and all the shows are archived there for uh, the Love Code and for What Women Must Know. So there's no excuse. Well, you can't listen to all these great conversations that truly are uplifting and inspiring. And, you know, we really need to be uplifted on a daily basis. The world fills us with so much uh, trauma, drama, stress, anxiety, fear. We need these time out times, right? Just take a break from the outer world and tune back in to the real power within us, which is our inner world and our inner truth and our spiritual nature. So I hope you'll be joining me as we continue these conversations every week. And today, uh, I'm so thrilled to have as my guest, Bill Harvey, uh, because we're going to be talking about his latest book and his, 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 his latest spiritual uh, gift to us which is his book called Breathing Mudras and Meridian Direct Experience of Embodiment. This is going to be such a fascinating conversation. I have loved diving into the work that Bill is doing and and applying it. So first of all, just let me say a little bit about Bill. (laughs) Bill Harvey has been a certified rolfer since 1984, certified advanced rolfer since 1990, Rolf Movement Practitioner since 1999, and Biodynamic Cranial Sacral Practitioner since 1984. His interest in combining these three approaches while working with clients led to the development of his trainings in biodynamic structural integration. The problem of figuring out how to not run out of breath while distance running and being around adults with emphysema captured Bill's interest in breathing at an early stage. During his more than three-decade full-time career in manual therapy, Bill has also pursued a variety of interests that deepened his work and instruction of structural integration. These interests have centered on questions of how life works. What is our proper place in nature? What is the relationship between the wiring of our nervous systems establishing through our attachment patterns and our physical structure and behavior? And what is the relationship between our belief systems? He is the author of his latest book, Breathing, Mudras, and Meridians, Direct Experience of Embodiment. So if you are intrigued 
with this conversation as you should be. <laughs> we have uh, a wonderful, a wonderful experience um, unfolding before us with my guest, Bill Harvey, today. So, Bill, uh, thank you for being on the Love Code, and I- I'm just so looking forward to our conversation today. How are you? Well, well, thank you for inviting me. You scared me when you when I saw that the uh, one of the titles of your podcast was "What Women Need to Know." And Lord, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not going there. I, I don't have, I don't have an idea of what women need to know. But uh, uh, everything, but Bill, can, everything. <laughs> okay, well, there I can, there I have something to offer. Um. You know, uh, we have lots to talk about today, and um, I mean, just reading your bio and talking about um, the work by dynamic structural integration, which I'm sure doesn't mean much to most people listening, so we can talk a bit about that. But before we go there, I'm always curious to know about the journeys that my guests have been on that have taken them to their their purpose and their um their, their real work in this lifetime. So, so I, I'm curious, Bill, can you share a little bit about your personal journey in life that led you to doing this work and this healing service to humanity? Well, I think, I think most people, if not all people who are, who go into the, the helping fields um, uh, are there because they need that help themselves. Uh, I was uh, mugged at the age of seven. I had a fractured skull. I uh, uh, had a death experience from that fractured skull, and uh, and it's I'm now seventy three, and it's it's taken me all this time to kind of heal from from the injuries that happened at that point. Um, it's it's hard to t- it's hard to even conceive of how much it affected my life, and I I wonder who I might have been without all this. But uh, but the ongoing need for deeper and deeper and deeper healing, something deeper than feeling better. What is it? What is healing? And um, I had to come up with a definition that actually uh, is true for me in my body, in my experience, you know, in real time. And I can tell you the kind of stuff that happens in all of our modalities is nice. It helps you feel better. But to really get to healing, you've got to go so much deeper, so much deeper. It ends up being a uh, a, um, a lifelong journey. So that's it. So can I can I ask um, when you had that near death experience as a child did, was was that a profound experience that has um, stayed with you and in a sense shaped your purpose here in of life course. or of, your experience of course life? but you know but but as a child uh, you know going to the other side is not that um, you know unique or, um, so. When I when I had the death experience, I, yeah, there was sort of there was a the experience of going through kind of I'll just say a paisley atmosphere moving um, 
which kind of coagulated to uh, light. And then I went to the light and then I was greeted. And I was greeted by um, who I took to be my grandmother's father. And he was the one who told me I had to go back. So uh, my experience was uh, joy beyond joy uh, upon leaving. It was it was actually the happiest moment <laughs> of my life. And uh, when I when I was told that I had to come back, I was I was depressed, and I basically got depressed for probably fifty years after that. The thing that pulled me out of out of that was creativity. Uh, I wrote I wrote my uh, my first book, which wasn't which wasn't very good, and uh, and luckily did not get published. But it it provided some um, some questions which are answered in this book. And it was the act of creativity that, that kind of got me here fully. Of course, I had I had a, a, a fulfilling life in the interim, but deep down inside, at a really fundamental level, the fact that I didn't die when I thought I should <laughs> uh, was a source of, of depression. Well, so, I can uh, just so for most people, yeah. I'd say most people don't have the kind of spiritual certainty of knowing what happens when you die. And I feel like I've had that. I, I feel like death is not the thing that's scary <laughs> in life. Life can be pretty scary. <laughs> but uh, but death death is not something to uh, to be afraid of. And I knew that at age seven. So it, it was a different kind of confidence I had in the world because of that. You know, it shapes how you live life when you have had an experience of being on the other side and experiencing what death is, um, which there is no death. <laughs> and, and therefore, it, it, it shapes how you live your life. And then on, because fear of dying and fear of death is what drives most people in this world, right, and and their perception of life and their decisions they make um, are all driven by that primary fear. And once having experienced it, you know, it's not there anymore. It's not there for you. It's not the re- That's not your truth anymore. Right, right, right. Well, I wouldn't know. I haven't experienced it yet. <laughs> take your word for it and I believe that to be true right uh you know I, I've heard other guests actually once had this conversation have similar experiences and everyone says the same thing it's so beautiful and so filled with so much love and connection so it's you know we need to hear it and help heal the wound we have that we think that um a death is a final curtain and and it's a terrifying thing you know my I know my my Probably both my parents believed uh, death was the final curtain, and they were terrified, right? Life's out. Nothing. You, you cease to exist, which is a terrifying thought to our, to our ego anyway. Sure. 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 But it also so, kind of lets you know that what what the world tells you life is about um, I knew from an early age that that wasn't what life was about. Uh, so then, it, then it became a question of how do you how do you get to the place where you can integrate 
what I already know is true about the difference between being in consensual reality uh, and and this and the world of spirituality. How do you bring all that together? And that's why I ended up writing, uh, starting this book, um, because at the time that uh, that I started writing the book, people were saying we were we had a new president, uh, and people were glorifying this president because he he shot from the hip. He basically went from his gut always, always didn't study anything. He just went with his gut, and there were people who admired that. And I believe that uh, <laughs> I don't believe what people say when they say the body doesn't lie. The body lies all the time. Whether or not your body lies is a function of your spiritual maturity. What your gut is is a collection of all the prejudices you've ever had since since the day you were born. So somebody who's shooting from the gut or speaking from the gut, I mean, to me, that's that's a, that's about as, as low-level spiritual development as you can have. Um, so um, so the question I had for myself was, how do you get to the point where you can trust what it is your body tells you? Um, and, of course, that involves the breath. Um, and my early breathing um, education, uh, educator, uh, activity was to kind of lead people to experience their breath in various parts of their bodies. And and I wanted this, uh, this study of how to put your breath in various places in your body to help people in moments of duress. Uh, and in America, there were people who, once, uh, once uh, Trump was elected, there were people who could not breathe. They couldn't catch their breath. Um, and that's when I realized that a, sort of a cognitive approach to breathing, um, it can't be the key to self-regulation because you need something that's going to bypass um, your brain. You, you need something that's going to bypass the specifics of the situation, kind of take over. Uh, and mudras, which are hand gestures, um, do just that. So before we talk about mudras, and I'm sure there are people listening who really don't know anything about mudras or understand them, but before we go there, can we spend a little more time with the breath? Obviously, the breath has been so profound and foundational for you and your work. Um, What do we need to know about the breath, Bill? Um, I think... The first thing you need to know is that belly breathing is not the, is not the answer. The, the the frame of reference needs to be the respiratory diaphragm, not breathing into your belly. So we want to engage the respiratory diaphragm as much as possible, and we have to learn how to engage um, all of it, the front of it and the back of it, because the back of the respiratory diaphragm is how we activate our own parasympathetic nervous system, how we calm ourselves down, calm ourselves down. If you ever have noticed um, a child, 
in a stressful situation, they are going to pout. So I invite you at this moment, this exact moment right now, stick your lower lip out and, and breathe and see what you feel. So for so many people who've lived so constricted and lived in fear. Cheryl, you didn't do you didn't hurt. do the exercise. Wait a minute, before you ask the question, do you oh. do this exercise? Okay, so sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So by the third breath, you're deep you're breathing very deeply and you're breathing into the back of your diaphragm. So try it again. Stick your lower lip out and breathe in through your nose. Notice what it does to you. You notice how calming it is. You notice how your whole consciousness sort of just drops down out of the out of the upper level noise into a into a centered inner place. So the parent who tells the kid not to pout is really taking away the kid's natural knowing of uh, of self-regulation, of how to, how to calm themselves down in stressful situations. But that's when we have the choice of what to do. So go ahead. What is the difference between um, belly breathing, which is commonly, you know, uh, told people to do, and a lot of the breath work that's going on, and um, engaging that? Well, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible to. uh, It's possible to breathe into your belly without engaging your your respiratory diaphragm. And it's not that mm-hmm. it's bad. It's just that you have so much greater a resource if you activate the diaphragm in the process. If you're pushing mm-hmm. down on your, if, you're in, if your inhalation pushes down on the respiratory diaphragm, you're massaging your liver. You're, uh, you're, uh, you're creating space for the liver in its relationship to the gallbladder. You're, you're, uh, you're creating space for your stomach and its relationship to the spleen and to the pancreas. So you're you're kind of vitalizing all of your organs. Whereas if you just breathe right into your belly, um, you you miss all that, and you're all, you're also kind of collapsing your chest when you breathe straight into the belly. Whereas if you breathe into the respiratory diaphragm. You're activating all of your lungs, your lung power. You're activating that spot in the back of your lungs where your of uh, uh, your diaphragm where it attaches to um, to the spine in the back, which activates the parasympathetic. So you're going to get 
you're going to get the relaxation response. You're going to get the centering, deepening response, but you're also going to get uh, uh, a feeling of being alert and present from activating your uh, your respiratory diaphragm space. Yeah, and that's so profound, especially when you are reminding us that when you do breathe in that manner, the respiratory diaphragm, you actually are massaging these physical organs. So they are getting rejuvenated, more blood supply, you know, just more oxygen, more nutrients, you know, uh, so much happens if you can use your breath in that way. Right. Exactly right. You know, we should be taught this (laughs) from the very beginning, shouldn't we, in life. If we had this knowledge, we would feel and uh, have more awareness to to self-regulate ourselves, as you were saying, if we understood, truly understood. I think we come in with it. I think we come in with it. If um, babies, babies do hand gestures to control their, you know, to regulate themselves naturally. They just do it automatically. One of the things that a, a baby will do is they will make a fist with the thumb on the inside of the fist. So let's try that. So. Mm-hmm. Put your put your mm-hmm. thumb inside your fist, mm-hmm. and and now breathe. And see what you feel from me. Well, I feel like it drops me down into more deeper relaxation. Absolutely, absolutely. And babies do that naturally. That I call it. Mm-hmm. The, that's that's the primordial mudra. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I feel like I feel like all of all of the hand gestures and their effects on our bodies, on our metabolism, on our desire for you know spiritual depth, it's all pre-wired. We come in mm-hmm. uh, with our bodies ready to uh, respond, um, and I. I believe that you know for the cultures that that know about mudras they they're using them all the time in these ways. Yeah, I have lots of questions. So let's start with defining the mudras and I mean I know you spent many years preparing and doing the research for your book, Breathing Mudras and Meridians. It's it's been a labor of great love. <laughs> And uh, determination, but, but let's let's define mudras for those that don't really know what they are. Well, a mudra is a hand gesture. Um, I mean, th- there's a there's a more uh, profound definition of it. But for for you know a beginning conversation, we'll, let's say there are hand gestures. Now you can do mudras with your with your whole body. There's a I talked to the the guy who teaches. Um, Shaivism, Kashmiri Shaivism. Um, Paul Ortega a couple years ago, and I told him I was writing about mudras, and he said he came across um, uh, books that were written in 10th century Kashmir uh, that talked about mudras of consciousness 
So uh, they're, they're different types of mudras. But for our purposes, um, let's just think about the way you hold your hands. Now, you've seen statues of, of um, Hindu and Buddhist uh, deities and bikinis and so forth all your life. You see they all have some kind of something going on in their hands. You've seen Russian icons, uh, and Russian icons are, are um, always have Jesus with two fingers up in the air while he's holding the fourth and finger down with his thumb, which is a which is a mudra. So the mudra started in India thousands of years ago. They went across the Silk Route. They went all the way to, to China. Um, and then when the Mongols uh, invaded um, the West from Mongolia, they took mudras and, t and took them all through Europe, all the way up to um, you know what we think of as Western Europe. So all of Eurasia knows mudras. Um, it's, it's part of their of their heritage. The airport in New Delhi has gigantic mudras up and down their uh, their corridors, you know, thirty feet high. And it, you can Google it uh, and uh, and see the mudras in in the airport. And they're beautiful. They're beautiful. So there are ways of holding your hands, and those uh, and how you hold your hand affects the rest of your body um and it and it affects it can affect your health it can affect your spiritual um uh, aspirations it can get you to deeper devotional um uh, frame of mind there are mudras specifically for contacting the divine but for for a lot of people the, the beginning mudras are the ones that affect your health on a moment-to-moment, -moment, day to day basis. So the the one that I that you tell me you like immediately is the one that helps you with um, heart palpitations. Uh, there is a mudra that is specifically for heart attacks. If you hold your hands in the position of this mudra, you can stop a heart attack. Yeah. So let let's do that one. It's called Rija, and Rija is spelled H-R-D-I-Y-A. That's Sanskrit. So to to do this mudra, you take your index finger and curl it and and curl it down to the base of your thumb. So you can do this in single hand or both hands. So I, I hope everybody's doing this. So curl your index finger down until it's kind of nestled into the base of the thumb. Now you're going to take your thumb and touch the tips of your middle finger and ring finger. And then your little finger is stretched out. Now the little finger, anybody who knows acupuncture meridian, so this this is the this is the uh this is the end of the heart heart meridian. 
So stretch, it's an active stretching of the little finger. So you can put your hands in your lap and just do this and see how it feels. thing you might notice is that your breath is goes straight to the area of the front of your heart. You get a good uh, anterior um, expansion of your rib cage. It gives some space to the heart. Your breath slows down. And eventually, the bottom of your diaphragm starts to descend. Now, that's very important because the heart is in a, in a uh, sac. That sac is called the pericardium. And the pericardium is firmly attached to the diaphragm. So when you breathe deeply and your diaphragm is going towards your feet, you're stretching the uh, that sack, giving space to the heart. Most of the time when you're having issues with anxiety, that whole area is, is constricted. In embryology, the heart starts at the throat. And then when the, when the embryo does a great flexion, and then it comes back up, the heart comes to the current place that it is, but it starts in the throat. So you probably have had the experience in your in your lifetime where you felt like your heart was in your throat. Well, it was. <laughs> and then that mm-hmm. that provides that provides the uh the the pathway for ligaments that attach to the to the pericardium. And your heartbeat slows down. I feel my heartbeat slowing down. And then the longer you hold it, the deeper your breathing becomes. Now, if you only do one hand, it has to be the left hand. But um, but you can do this with both. So I just uh, want to share with everyone when when I um, learned about this from looking at um, a video, which I will include in the in the notes, so if people go to the archive show, they'll, be ha- they'll have a link to the video that you've done. Or, or if you go to the, your website, actually, billharvey.org, it's there too. So that's where I saw it before we've had this conversation. And I, I um, used this 
mudra, when I noticed that I was, my heart was getting into flutters, occasionally had palpitations, and I didn't do it more than a minute, and I, I just felt everything calming down and, and disappearing, which was very profound for me to actually have an experience of this shift that happens. So I'm sure people who are listening are, are curious, like what is it about these particular hand movements, placement of fingers touching in certain ways in certain um, configurations that um, have such a profound effect on all these systems and energy centers of the body. Yeah, that's that's the question in a, in a, in a very fundamental way. Where did these mudras come from? And um, as I said earlier, I believe that we're pre-wired believe that we already know the mudras in some in some way uh, and when we do them the body already knows how to how to respond it depends on how how out there your belief system is I mean the uh, I believe that mudras started with Indian classical dance um, this is my my personal opinion of what read this but um, when you when you watch the the movements of, of Indian classical dance the, the women dancers they they have their hands in, in ex- extreme positions all the time and of course everybody who understands Indian classical dance knows what all these hand positions mean and I'm sure that as part of that culture um, the priests were also noticing <laughs> What, what these hand positions were doing and would mean and, and would pull them out and say, you know, if you do this movement, you're going you're gonna to get this reaction. If you put your, let's say, for example, you put your right hand right below your collarbone on the left side and then put your left hand right below your collarbone on the right side and then breathe, You notice how the back of your diaphragm descends. And you also notice that when you do this, your head naturally bows. So this is the mudra for connecting to the divine within. And it doesn't matter what your belief system is, what, what, what divinity you're talking about, this mudra works for all of them. I hope you're doing it. Are you doing it, Cheryl? I am. Okay, good. And I'm, as I'm doing it, I also, the, the thought that I had was like, we are, in a sense, hardwired <laughs> Um to, to have the ability to tap in through using our body, through using these mudras, through using these different 
positions of our hands and connections of our hands. We are, in a sense, um, hardwired to be able to have this ability to uh, support the functioning of our body, to move into um, a more balance, uh, working with the chakras, to move into higher states of consciousness. It's, it's, it's all there within our body if we it's all understand there. the secret. It's exactly right. And you can, you can have whatever belief you want. Um, you can be as skeptical as you want. If you do the mudra for activating your third eye, you're going to have an activation of your third eye. Shall we do one? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So in this one, you're going to make your left hand into a fist, and you have your index finger pointing up, but the rest of your hand's in the fist. Is in a fist. Finger tucked in, or a thumb tucked in? The thumb is going to hold down your middle uh, ring and little fingers, and your index finger is sticking up. Okay. Okay, you do that with your left hand. So with your right hand, you're going to grab your index finger and then take your thumbnail and kind of jam it into the base of your thumbnail on your index finger. Uh, Yeah, so your right thumbnail is hitting the base of your index, left index finger thumbnail. It should hurt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now point your index finger at your at your area of your third eye. Physically take it up there. Yes, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be right up there. I mean, just sort of point in the general direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel more um, energy in in that third eye area. Uh, You know, my focus is on it as well, but I feel I definitely feel more energy happening there. How about how about warmth? Do you feel warmth there as well? Um, I'm tuning in. Not so much warmth at this point, mm-hmm. you know, right now. But it definitely—I right. I, I guess if you keep it there, you know, work with it more. But I definitely feel the um, focus of more energy in that right. area, the third eye. Exactly, and I feel like the in, in the design of the human, I think the chakras are. I I was feeling that. I was trying to remember the story of Hansel and Gretel. They, they had breadcrumbs. They were trying to. Yeah, they had breadcrumbs. <laughs> right. So I feel like the the chakras are breadcrumbs in a sense, um, because no matter what your uh, your scientific background, your belief system, these chakras exist, and with with very little effort, 
you can contact them and they will light up. Um, so what do you make of that? I feel like they're they're like a um, a little hint for us that you know we have a spiritual body. We have we have spiritual spirituality baked in to the to our physicality and. Uh, and some people say that you know we are. I mean, the real the real issue is are are we are we bodies with a soul or are we souls with a body? So that you start that answering that question with with chakras, and it's not hard to find them. It's not hard to feel them, and there are, you know several mudras for each chakra, which which force you to feel them uh, quickly. Quickly, so there's no equivocation about it. It's like, yeah, okay, something's going on in my third eye right now. I did that mudra for for 15 seconds, and that area is warm for me. So the more we consistently have a practice with these mudras, the more we can uh, connect. I guess connect with the energy or deepen the experience. There's different ways to express what goes on. Well, my feeling is that that um, the the big game is to feel what's going on inside your body. You can feel the chakras, but there are pathways, there are energy pathways in the body, and you can feel those. And once you start feeling these these areas of your body, feeling these sort of esoteric, maybe say esoteric um, phenomenology of your body, then you end up relating to the natural world in a different way. One of the things I'm I'm also a rock guy. I like I, I collect all kinds of of rocks. And in my early days of teaching mudras, we would do mudras and, and have sensations in our bodies and then I would pass around rocks and say, Okay, well where does this rock light up in your body? And there's specific rocks that would, you know, activate the third eye, specific rocks that, that activate the heart. Um so I made it a practice of, of passing out um, rocks um, at the end of mudra class so that certain rocks activate your third eye, certain rocks activate your heart. So we've already activated them in, in the mudra class. Uh, so now when you feel this uh, this, this uh, beautiful deep blue azurite, do you feel it in your third eye? Um, and and so forth. Uh, it became a way to for us to interact with the natural world and see how we're a part of it and how it can affect us when we are aware. Um, from there, I decided, okay, we can use mudras to feel our own acupuncture meridians. It's not hard to do. It should be our birthright that we feel them. The people who, the Yellow Emperor, the people who wrote the books on acupuncture, they all could clearly feel their meridian. So mm -hmm. I kind of figured out how do you how do you do that? And we have we have mudras that make you feel the uh, the flow of chi or prana in your body, and then you can direct your awareness of those of the of the flow of those flows specifically to where the meridians are. So that, that ended up being that part of that part of the book. 
And once you can feel the wood meridian, um, which is liver and gallbladder, well, the wood meridian relates to trees. Once you, you can hold a mudra uh, that you can feel the, the liver and gallbladder in your body, but you could also hold that next to a tree and, um, and actually communicate with the trees through that meridian. It, it becomes it's really fun. You use the meridian for wood, I mean the mudra for wood, which is holding down the index finger with your thumb, and then just speak to a tree. Just say, hey, how you doing? And then feel what happens. <laughs> you'll, feel, you'll feel the roots of the tree speak back to you. You'll get it. You'll get a little flow of energy straight into your feet from the tree, from you speaking to the tree. With these mudras, you can relate. You can say, okay, well, where's water? You hold the mudra for, uh, for water. At this point, it's like holding your little finger down. Um, say, okay, where's the nearest water source? And then just kind of check in. And your body will kind of start leaning to where the nearest creek or whatever is. So this becomes a way to, um, to really fit into the natural world and to relate to the natural world and to have the natural world relate to you. <laughs> that is so profound. I mean, my thoughts were just like expanding that, that understanding that um, at one, at one time, well, and there are, I'm sure still cultures uh, existing, more indigenous cultures who had, um, did not develop the intellect to the degree we have in modern societies or in Western cultures or origins of Western cultures who live so close to the Actually, land. we don't know that. We don't know that. that. We're just going to say that. You know, <laughs> we don't. We don't know whether they did or not. <laughs> but 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 you know, having having done spent time in in um, in Peru in the Amazon uh-huh. and working with yeah. healing plants, how did ancient peoples know? how these plants would provide specific healing benefits. I mean, that's a... Well, that, that, a, that, a, that was the subject of that, of that book, uh, The Cosmic Serpent. Do you remember that book? That, uh, mm. was, it, was it Narby mm, or something? Really. Something like that. His, he said, you know, all these people who take all these, uh, uh, take ayahuasca, and they always see a snake. Uh, it's like the first thing they see. And he kind of right. realized that the, that snake is is DNA, and that one of the things that they learn from taking these these hallucinogens is how to how to speak with uh, you know in in when I learned about DNA it was a long time ago for sure but they were saying oh there's all this junk DNA you know this this is going to determine your your eye color but this this DNA over here is this is just junk. And uh, and in the book, The Cosmic Serpent, this guy, Narby, says, uh, no, that's not junk. That's how you communicate with, with, uh, with plants, or that's how you communicate with, with animals. It's built in that we have some way of communicating with, mm-hmm. with other life forms. So. Well, that's what I <laughs> that's really a fun book. <laughs> getting from this, from this conversation. I mean, that... that um, you know the fact that mudras are ancient. They come. 
from somewhere in time, way back, with some obvious great wisdom. Yes. And 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 is and I've known about mudras, but never really delved into it as I have since talking with you and reading um, some of your books. Has just brought this to such a you know an awareness of how profound this ancient wisdom is and how we can use it now to reawaken and and activate these potentials within us through these mudras and, and attention. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's a it's a it's a resource that that everyone should have. I have a one of my students teaches mudras to high school students and she says that the the universal response is anger why didn't i know this when i was five you know it it should be our birthright uh, to have access to this kind of let's say you're in a meeting let's say you have no power in the meeting um and you're the target of 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 um nearing upper-level people? How are you going to hold it together? How do you maintain your poise in a situation like that? Well, there are mudras you can do under, underneath the, te- the, the tabletop that will keep you grounded and centered and uh, clear about who you are so that whatever is going on with them is their problem and not your problem. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's very simple, you know, uh, and seems like a a resource for everybody who's in a in a unequal situation. You don't have to put up with this. You can you can maintain your sense of self. Mm-hmm. You don't have to feel diminished. And just hold a mudra under the table, and it, you'll hold it together. The 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 the, the baby's um, mudra. It's called mushti that we talked about earlier. Is one of those mudras that I would call a mudra for meetings. Just put your thumb inside your fist and and just just look around and say, "Isn't this interesting?" <laughs> Easy to do. <laughs> um, how many mudras do you have in your book, Bill? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I when I started my research on mudras, I found about three thousand of them. Um, and I, I couldn't do all of them. The, the people from Tibet, <laughs> their fingers are different. <laughs> they can do stuff with their hands. <laughs> I look at these pictures and I scratch my head. You know, um, but double jointed But I've fingers. done a, right. I've I've done a lot of them, and and. Um, and right now, one of the one of my ongoing projects, I'd like to do a mudra deck for esoteric mudras. Um, so I'm going mm-hmm. back over the which I w- went over probably maybe four years ago when I was when doing my basic research for all the mudras, maybe longer. Um, and of course, I can do more and I can feel more. Um, uh, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's 50 in the book. There's mudras for all the chakras. There's mudras for all the meridians. Uh, there's mudras for 
values, and a, a value is, is the basic um, movement of prana through the body in, in, uh, in Hindu, the Hindu, in the Ayurvedic body, there's, there's um, five different movements within the body. And those movements uh, connect to things that we know about. And, and I mean, there's a movement that goes up the front of the body, there's a movement that goes down the back of the body. But there's a movement where the, where the horizon comes into your heart. And then there's a movement where the horizon goes from your heart, uh, um, where the impulse goes from your heart back out to the horizon. So there's a mudra for that. So you feel these, these Vayu mudras and, uh, and start to notice the world around you and how your perception of the world around you shifts because, because you're now aware of these possibilities. So I love, I love, uh, I'm so grateful that I've met you, connected, and we're having this conversation, and, and I'm learning more about the mudras because uh, it's, it's really so profound, and they're so simple. You, you can just practice one or two, like the heart one. I just definitely love the heart one. Um, and it can have an immediate impact on, in this case, supporting the heart. As you said, I mean, stopping a heart attack, that's Pretty profound, or yeah, the or, or the yeah. hard energy, right? Just you know, when I do that, I everything calms down. You know, I just just you know like drop down into a deeper place. Uh, so so they're they're available. They're simple. We carry them around <laughs> wherever we go, and if we practice with some of the favorite mudras that you have in your book. Um, and, and just get familiar with them. We are so much more resourceful for our own health, for our own awareness, you know, spiritual awareness. Uh, that's how I understand it from what you've been sharing and what I've been learning from your books and uh, the, the wonderful information that you research and share with us. Well, the, the, the next part is to say that you can do mudras at three levels. Um, you can do the, the worldly mudra, which, which we've just done, but we can take that mudra uh, and to a much subtler level. Um, so that heart mudra that you just did, you can also connect it to sort of the heart of, of, of shall we say, the heart of the universe, just to just to continue the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Relatively eas- easily, you can you can move your awareness of your heart to the the sort of the divine heart and from there you can go into the divine on the other side of the divine heart and look back at yourself from there in other words you can make this journey from the the body that has a soul through the heart to the ocean of love that uh, that sources everything, and look back at yourself and realize, oh, it's not that I have a body with a soul. I am a soul that does have this body, and then that gets us back to where we began, which is, you know, what happens after you die? Because the soul is <laughs> going to keep going. Yeah. That's the, that's well, the assurance. You know- 
that's the that's the blessed assurance that you that you live on, your soul lives on, and this is how you can connect with it, and this is how you can grow in your relationship with it. And that's, I mean, it's a beautiful way to end our conversation because we're really out of time, but I want people to um, know that your website is billharvey.org. Great information. Like I said, there's a wonderful video that shows some of the mudras, and the book is Breathing Mudras and Meridians, Direct Experience of Embodiment. Bill, it's just been such an honor to have you on the show sharing your wisdom with us today and such beautiful yeah, Thank you so strategies. much. Thank you so much. You're so wonderful to speak with. Yeah, and you're so thank present. you. I love it. I love, I love talking with you. Let's do it again sometime, Thanks, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and thank you all for listening. And until next time, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. <laughs>